Thank you all so much. So I've been um, in trial. A lot of y'all are keeping up through my video thoughts for the day. This week we're going to be looking at the temptations in the wilderness. And it's been a really fascinating chance to try this case. I'll, I'll pause for just a moment and, and I should warn if any of you are watching this on the internet and you happen to be jurors, you're not allowed to watch for the next five minutes because I'm talking about the case. And so I can't imagine jurors would watch this, but who knows. So I need to at least give that warning. So last week we had a, a, a witness that was brought in by the defendants in the case. And uh, this guy was smooth. I mean, he was smooth as glass. And he got on the stand and testified basically all day long that everything we'd said was a bunch of bunk. And it was just like, just, I mean, he had the hair. He had the teeth. He had the smile. He had that Southern California laid back, chill, everything's all right with the world. Don't get up in arms the way Lanier wants you to. Uh, persona going. And he sounded really, really good. And my team afterwards, Thursday, when we went back to the, the war room, they were all concerned. Uh, these are people that, that I got a bunch of people on my teams that are um, wonderful, godly people. But I've also got a bunch of people that are as pagan and lost as, as you could be. And they're all concerned. And they think that the world has come to an end because this man has just destroyed our case. And they're, they're just hoping and hoping and hoping that the next day when I get to cross-examine him, that something good will come of it. But they are nervous as can be. <clears throat> and I told them, uh, uh, you know, they, they bless their hearts. They have to not only put up with me telling them what to do, but they have to put up with me preaching at them too. And so I told them, I said, I want to tell you all a story about Jesus. When Jesus was about to start his ministry he got called out into the wilderness by the Spirit of God and when he got called out there he spent a long period of time without eating fasting and and after he was just no doubt famished Satan comes in to tempt him and when Satan came in to tempt him he didn't jump out in a devil costume like he'd wear on Halloween with the you know, red horns and the pointy tail and a pitchfork. He came out seductively, friendly, wooing Jesus. He came out with this real smooth, hey, we got some things to talk about, but you got to be famished, bless your heart. So before we do, uh, you know, since you're the son of God, why don't you just turn some rocks into bread? Get you something to eat, and then we'll talk. What could be friendlier than offering a starving man bread? So I told this to these folks, and they're looking at me like I'm just a crazy man. And I said, the point of this is this. Sometimes evil masquerades as something beautiful and good. And our job is to discern the difference and then reveal the difference. So my job tomorrow, by the grace of God, is to reveal who this fellow really is. And I said, understand, we're working really hard. Y'all are working really hard. But while we're doing all this hard work, I've got friends who are dear to the Lord, 
who are praying on our behalf that we do well in his sight. I said, so we got nothing to fear. Let's just keep working hard. Those of you who believe in prayer, keep praying. Tomorrow's going to be fine. Uh, Friday, <clears throat> I got to cross-examine that gentleman. And by the grace of God, I don't know that he'll ever testify in a court in this country again. Um, by the grace of God. Uh, it was so bad that our daughter Rachel was flying back from Cleveland to L.A. and called me and said, Dad, I'm on the same flight as him. What am I going to do? I said, well, just go up to him and tell him hello and remind him who you are. I said, it's over. And she, Because she's sitting at a council table with me. She said, Dad, I can't. After what you did, he'll blackball me with every doctor in California and they'll all commit malpractice on me. I said, no, honey, he won't, that'd be fine. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's an interesting world. And it's an interesting world in how we see it. And, and the truth of tunnel vision is we have this tendency to see things from the perspective in which we're living. And that's about it. And so when you're going through your, your life, if it's ordinary stuff, you just see it the same way you've been seeing it. Now there's something extraordinary that happens. Uh, Stephen Nola's daughter got married recently and, and when that happens, you know, that's not an everyday occurrence and it jolts you a little bit and it'll stir up memories and ideas and thoughts that may not be there otherwise. But in the normal come and go, the normal push-pull of life, we all tend to live within the vision of the tunnel in which we're walking almost oblivious to the world outside us and what I'd like to do is say that faith demands more than tunnel vision um, here there that's the way the slide should have done it faith demands that we see the world outside of our tunnels outside of just what we normally see and what we normally do and that's what I hope we're able to do I want us to understand this and we'll do it from Philippians but we'll do it with three different per, um, three different points that I'd like to make the first is how important it is that we practice what we preach better yet that we practice what Paul preaches sometimes we don't preach the right things but let's practice godliness let's let's don't just talk about it let's do it point number two that I want to talk about today is the blessing of relationship because that's deep within this uh, passage that we'll be looking at. And then the third and final point I want to talk about is the secret, shh, don't tell anybody, the secret to joyful living. So if we can do those three things, we'll have a great morning. We'll go uh, about our day and about our world different than we would have if we hadn't invested this time in trying to learn what God has to say to us. So let's start with practice what you preach. Which means I need to say thank you to David Cates for teaching last Sunday. I deeply appreciate it. He um, filled in for me. Uh, so Becky and I were able to spend last weekend uh, uh, with our grandkids and, and some of our grandkids. And so that was a real treat and a chance to, to do that. Um, but in the process of that, 
he left off at Philippians 4 verse 9. So we're going to pick up with Philippians 4 verse 10. And here's what it says. Um, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. Now you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now we can just read through that. Say, well, that's interesting. But if we pause, and if we munch and chew on it before we swallow it, we're going to get some flavors and some taste out of it that I think can enrich our lives in special ways. So I want to start with this question. Do you hear the echo, the echo, the echo, the echo? Do you hear it? It's hard to hear it because we do this every Sunday and not as one letter being read the whole way through. But if we were doing it as one letter all the way through, we'd remember just six verses before. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say, rejoice. Kairotein kuriopantote. Palanero kairote. We learned a song off of it, if you were in here. That's Paul's telling them in an instruction that they are to rejoice in the Lord always. They are to kairote, that's rejoice, in kurio, in the Lord. Always. So that was said just six verses before, and now we've got Paul saying, I rejoiced. Echorain is the form, but it's the same verb. It's just being put into a slightly different tense, and it's putting put in first person. He says, I rejoiced in curio, in the Lord. In curio, in curio. I did it. That uh, Chi Alpha Rho is the root. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Paul's saying the very thing I've told you to do always, I did with he says, oh, whoa, 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 go back. What did you do? Why did you disappear? That's not very nice of you. Um, hold on, we've got to get this right. I managed to make something appear and disappear all at the same time. And um, we've got to fix that. So let's go back to here. Let's go back to there, 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 there. That it is. This is the same precise language that he told them to do. He's just put it into the past tense and said he's did it. And he's talking about when the gift that they sent him through Epaphroditus arrived. They, the, the, Paul's writing this from a Roman prison. Now remember a Roman prison is not like our modern penitentiaries. It was one of two things. It's either a hole in the ground or in the rock where people are stagnating away or it's a slum where they're chained to someone. It's, they only get to live in the slum chained up if they can afford to pay the rent. Otherwise they live in a hole in the ground and it's not like well you get out to, to have outside you know wreck time each day or each week. No, no, no. You're stuck there. There's no bathroom. You're stuck there in the stink and the disease and the filth of feces and urine and others and rats and, and everything. He's in a horrible condition if he's in a hole. 
but he's likely living in a slum which isn't a lot better and he's still chained up and and you don't eat in either Roman imprisonment you don't eat unless someone brings you food they didn't have DoorDash which by the way my wife claims is her spiritual gift so if you ever need a meal call Becky um, they didn't have that and so you lots of imprisoned people just starve to death this is the situation from which Paul writes and the Philippians had sent him a gift they sent him some monetary support they sent him some help and they sent him Epaphroditus to bring it to them and so Paul's saying I rejoiced in the Lord greatly but he's using language from a Roman imprisonment he's using language that echoes what he told them to do and that's why I say Paul walks the talk Paul practices what he preaches and that's a great thing but I don't want to just go by it I want us to go a little bit deeper so here's the reason why James 2 verse 14 says the following what good is it my brothers and sisters if someone says he has faith but he doesn't have works can that faith save him now because James is using words like save faith we tend to read that through the lenses of talking about salvation before God and on Reformation Day we can point out the big struggle between the idea of being saved by works or being saved by grace through faith and that's fine and that's a legitimate thing to struggle with in this passage and to understand but I think what James is saying is something much different than simply salvation eternally here he's talking about your life he's talking about how you live he's talking about what what works for you in this life you see verse 18 he says someone will say you have faith and I have works show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works and I really want to get this out of the framework of thinking about eternity and salvation before God and thinking about saving yourself in this world and in this life that you're living right now because the key is if the Sun is out and the winds behind you and it's smooth sailing it's easy to say I'm gonna live my life by faith what does that mean to live by faith I think in this context that I'm trying to convey it means I'm going to choose to do what I know is God's will even if it doesn't seem like the best course of action I am going to live believing that God really exists and that he really has given me good direction and instruction for life even if it flies in the face of what common sense might tell me I ought to do differently even if it flies in the face of what my life rut is like 
this is easy for me to speak on right now because I live in a tunnel in Cleveland. And I do almost the same thing every day. And it's get ready, execute, review, get ready, execute, review. Somewhere in there you sleep. Eating is just what you're doing while you're doing these other things. You spend a little time in the Word. You, do a re you record your video thought for the day each morning. But, but this is a tunnel where you live. And yours may not be Cleveland. Yours may be just your ordinary life. But you've got to realize that there's life outside this tunnel. And that life is God. And that God has purpose for you and he has meaning for you beyond the simple things you do each day. He infuses those with meaning. But he's about something much more. And the reason I say this is because there are days where the sailing is not so smooth. Where the temptation is to flee from what is godly in your choice and instead do what feels good or seems convenient, or seems to save you in the moment. To tell the convenient untruth. To cut a corner and take something that's really not yours to take. To engage in the gossip that enables you to better fit in, or better seem important. To find ways to satisfy uh, uh, your appetites that aren't godly. And all of those are chances where you can say, and I can say, no. I'm going to walk by faith that what God has said is the right thing. When things are iffy, when things aren't what you want or need, when things are challenging, then as you choose to do godliness, you're showing your faith. Because you're acting only by faith. And this is the import of what James is saying. He says, you want to tell, you want to tell me you have faith, that's fine, but show me. Let me see that your faith makes a difference. This is why the ultimate showing of faith was the martyrdom. Of the early church. Or the martyrdom of people in countries today. But the early church is replete with stories of the martyrs. Who wouldn't worship at the throne of Julius Caesar. Not Julius Caesar. Of any of the Caesars. Who wouldn't worship. Who wouldn't take the picture of, of incense. And put it in. And praise Caesar. And instead are willing to be thrown to the lions or burned for their faith. I mean, that's not a common sense thing. A common sense thing is to say, uh, you know, like, you remember Fiddler on the Roof? You remember when, um, I think it's Tevye, but somebody says to the, to the, to the rabbi, uh, Rabbi, you say there's a blessing for... Uh, uh, everyone, yes. Is there a blessing for the Tsar? And, and the rabbi says, May God bless and keep the Tsar far away from us. 
you know, there's, there's, you know, praise Caesar. And then under your breath, the dirty, rotten scoundrel. Or praise Caesar. And you cross your fingers. I mean, there's, I mean, after all, doesn't God want me here? Doesn't God want me teaching next Sunday? But that's what you're to do is that's, that's the time to show your faith. That's the time to do what's right. Even if it doesn't feel right, even if it doesn't seem smart. You do what you know God wants you to do and you're living by faith. And so Paul's able to rejoice in the Lord. Because it's the right thing to do. He doesn't just preach it. He doesn't just teach it. He does it. And I love that about this. <clears throat> then he says rejoice in the Lord. And as he's doing it in the Lord. That is a, a concept that's found in the Psalms. Over and over again. Um, it's interesting. Uh, uh, David Capes would... would uh, find this fascinating but uh, actually probably already knows it Paul does this stuff routinely but here especially Paul translates the Psalms from Hebrew into his own Greek uh, using that that verb Cairo uh, uh, for rejoice it's not really used in the Psalms at all uh, in fact it's almost studiously avoided in the Psalms that have been translated into Greek uh, but Paul, like, grabs it from Zechariah and uses it anyway because it fits his purposes. But if you look at, like, Psalm 3211, let's flip over. 3211 says, mm, 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 there we go. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. That's rejoice in the Lord. Shout for joy. That's this concept. Psalm 35, 9, same concept. My soul will rejoice in the Lord. Same concept, Psalm 40, verse 16. Same thing. Verse uh, 16. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. This concept of rejoice in the Lord is one that, that is a very biblical instruction from Paul. It's not something new he made up. But what it is, is, is it's the idea that God is not only the reason we can rejoice, but he's the focus of our rejoicing. When we say rejoice in the Lord, it's not just, it's, it's two things. It's rejoice because he's in control. Rejoice because, because uh, uh, um, uh, he, he has this. But also rejoice just in focusing on who he is. And this instruction is something that's beyond an emotional plea. It's not an instruction on how to feel. It's an instruction on what to do. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That Greek word is megalos comes from megas, and it's just a, an adverb there. Uh, megalos is, is like mega. I mega rejoiced. Otherwise, it's the only use like that in the New Testament. But, but uh, he's saying, I mega rejoiced in the Lord. 
And, and in the process of this, it's, it's like I say, more than a feeling. This is an activity. This is expressing joy and praising and singing and in life. This is wrapped up in that whole concept that you live godly lives. That you care about things you should care about. That you prioritize things the way God wants them prioritized. That you show his love when you don't feel his love. That you tend to the weak and the sick and the helpless. Because he wants you to. And as we do that, we will find this life very different. So there's an old song that I thought sounded kind of old when I heard it in 1980 or 81. I mean, this was borderline not edgy enough for me. I wanted like more Bob Dylan or Deep Purple or something with some bite to it, you know? But this song was so powerful, I fell in love with it anyway. So I want you to hear it, and I want you to know it, and if you don't, I need you to download it and get it, and I want you to, to grab hold of this song. all your dreams and your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested scheme and you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fears don't let the faith you're standing in seem to
you know, it is, it is, um, uh-oh, I've got to stop it, stop it. Okay. It, it is a tremendously powerful truth that as we praise God in the midst of whatever we're going through, and that's part of our faith walk, so we're doing what is right by Him, even if we don't feel it then God is magnified, our lives are transformed, and even if the sun doesn't come out immediately, and the storm is not immediately stilled, we still know the one who is in control, and we rejoice and we praise him. And that's Paul's instruction from a Roman prison. And that's Paul practicing what he preached. Now, I want to go to the next step and talk about the blessing of relationship for a moment. <clears throat> Look at the way this passage finishes. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length, hoti ede pote, now at length. This is goofy language. When you read this in the Greek, it's like, uncomfortable at least for me it's uncomfortable because this ede pote the hote just means that and it's it's a basically causal here probably but but even if it's not it's got that effect so because I rejoice greatly in the Lord because that ede pote it means at last Finally, Paul uses it in one other place. He uses it in Romans 1.10. This gives you a feel for what I'm talking about. Look at this, Romans 1.10. Paul says, uh, there we go. Whoa, action Jackson. Um, <clears throat> God's my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may at last succeed in coming to you finally and I'll finally get to come to you that at last I get to be there well in the he uses that word here to say I rejoice greatly that at last finally you've revived your concern for me now this can come off a bit passive-aggressive <laughs> Hey, thank you for finally remembering me over here in prison, suffering. Appreciate the fact you fed me after I've been starving for a month. And some commentators think Paul's just being a little snitty here. But he's not. He's doing the best he can. He's telling them what he wants them to hear. And even Paul realizes that this could come off a little bit it could be taken the wrong way. Now, he doesn't have an ability to say, um, delete that last phrase. Let's rewrite it. He doesn't have an ability to say, use the eraser. You know, he's like, beep, 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 back it up. He, he, he's got to do it verbally. And so he does verbally. He says, look, 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 I'm not being passive aggressive here. I know you were concerned for me. 
It's just you didn't have an opportunity. And he's using some words that um, you would know well if you worked in a nursery, a garden nursery, not a kid nursery. He's using botany words. He's gone all botanist on us. Here's the, the key. He says, at last you revived your concern for me. That word that's translated revived. Anathalo means the, the spring blooms of a perennial. Or the new shoots that come out in spring. You came back into bloom for me. You, 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 you reshooted for me. Spring has sprung. You sent it forth. And so he's able to say, you've revived, Anathalo. You've, you've revived your concern for me. It blossomed again. And he says, now, look, I know you were concerned for me before, but you didn't have any opportunity. This is from the word, it wasn't the right time. Kairos is the, the root behind it, but, but it, it wasn't the season. He said, I, you know, spring has come, and, and I know you were concerned during the winter, but it was the winter, but now it's the spring, and, it, and the blossoms have come, and, and you've expressed your concern for me again. And I just love the realty of uh, the realness of this, the reality of, of the way Paul thinks. It's so clear to, to me that, that Paul's living in the Lord and rejoicing in the Lord. But yet he's so intertwined with these people who love him that he loves. And there's a threeness. It's like the braiding the hair with a three-way bond. You got Christ and Paul and the Philippians and they're all bound up together. And Paul's being especially careful. Because in the Greco-Roman world, and remember, that's what Philippi is. It's a Roman Greco colony, not a Jewish one. In the Greco Roman world, one of the premier first layer levels of intimacy and friendship is the giving and the receiving of gifts. That's one of the ways they showed friendship. In the Jewish world, one of the premier at the time, eating together. Meals. That's why people got so incensed. Jesus was eating with the yimyos. You know, hey, there's a bunch of tax collectors and prostitutes and people of the street, and you're eating with them? It's a sign you're a friend with them. That's what that stood for. Well, in the Greco-Roman world, it's the giving and receiving of gifts. And, and that's that first mark of friendship. And so Paul wants to not only be a giver, but he wants to be a good recipient. And he cares about this. And so he's really important to him that he clarifies how appreciative he is because that relationship is something that Paul struggled to maintain. And, and this is important for us. Now, I don't like to scold. So I'm not going to scold. And I don't like to point the finger at anybody because I'm guiltier than all of you. Almost anything I can point the finger at you about. But I got an email this week 
that's a little bit different than the normal emails I get about class. Usually I get emails that are, are just magnificent, talking about how wonderful the people are and how lovely they are. This person sent me an email that says, a family member and I have been coming to the class for a while, and we're going to probably place membership at the church and keep coming. But i got to tell you, nobody's very nice to us in your class. And I thought, oh dear, who are they sitting by? <laughs> because y'all are all so nice. But it just tells you that sometimes you might be having a tough day. And you might not be feeling like Mr. or Miss Congeniality. But those are the days where you show your faith by your works. Those are the days where you show you're a believer by the way you treat people. Those are the days where you don't feel like it, but you still want to make sure the people around you know that they are loved in the name of Jesus. Those are the days where you do what you need to do to show the importance of relationship because it is important. There's not a person in this room. There is not a person in this room or watching this on the internet that God doesn't love enough to die for them. I don't care your age. I don't care your education. I don't care the color of your skin. I don't care if you have hair or don't have hair. I don't care how long your fingernails are or how short your toenails are. I don't care about any of that. God loves you all by yourself enough to die for you. So if we believe that, if that is our faith, then let's walk it by showing it to everybody. Even if they don't vote the way we do, or they're not smart enough to wear a Texas Tech shirt. <laughs> That's the blessing of relationship. Now let me give you in the last 10 minutes the joy of secret living. Secret of joyful living. Paul says, now please understand, I'm not that I'm speaking of being in need. Uk ote kath. Not that I'm speaking. This, this uk ote means that is to say, that is to say, whoops, um, I forgot my blue box. Sorry about that. Usteresis is this idea of need. And there are different ways to make a noun in, in Greek. You can do it with an M or you can do it with an S sound. And, it, and, and how you choose to do it makes a difference in whether you're talking about a concrete uh, um, idea or an, uh, something expressed and done. And so what, what Paul says here is, that is to say, this idea of need is not what's motivated this. I'm not rejoicing greatly because I had a great need. I'm rejoicing greatly because you loved me and you showed it. And because it's right to rejoice in the Lord. Do I have need? Of course he had need. Capital N need. But he says, that's not the... the I'm not saying I rejoice greatly because I, I had these needs. Paul says, I'm not... Look, this is my translation. I'm not saying this because of my personal needs. In fact, he goes on to say, I've learned in whatever situation I'm in 
to be content. Now, Greg Stay, you want to talk about Stoics and how they were listening on this? Greg's my Greek philosopher in here. He's always sending me good points of Greek philosophy. And here's a good one, because I think this is one where you and I would, would both want to stand up and shout together. There was a Stoic, the third era of Stoicism, in a sense, philosophically. I'm not sure philosophers may say, Lynn, here, that's not anything anybody's ever said before. Okay, fine, maybe it's not. But it, in my brain, I divide Stoicism into three kind of time periods. And we're in the third time period here with Seneca. He's a contemporary of Paul's. Born about 1 AD or BC, I'm not sure which, but dies in the 60s. And he's a well-known Latin Roman Stoic. And the Stoics were almost the Spocks. You know, Captain Spock, live long and prosper type Vulcan mentality with no needs. And what Paul has just written is something that almost reads just like something Seneca would have written. Let me give you something from Seneca. The happy man is content with his present lot no matter what it is and is reconciled to his circumstances. Seneca, the beautiful life, 6.2. This idea of being content is what Paul's talking about here with atarches. Atarches is, is uh, content. It's translated content. But it's this uh, idea that was, was an ultimate goal for the Stoic. The Stoic is the philosopher who wants to be content with life. And the way they became content is by just not having needs, wants, or desires. I will remove those from me. And in that I will be content. I don't need food. I don't need companionship. I don't need uh, to impress you. I don't need to depress you. I don't need anything at all. I've just chosen to be content. Your life's a wreck. Doesn't bother me. I'm content. You've got disease. I don't care. I'm content. I'm a stoic. Paul uses very stoic language here. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And there's no way those Greek Roman Philippians aren't hearing the Stoicism in what Paul says. But with a twist, it's almost as if Paul is undressing the Stoic. He starts out by mimicking them, but he's not done. Paul says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. That's the, the word for humility there. Tapido is, is the, the humility word. That is the exact opposite of what a Stoic would want. Couldn't humiliate a Stoic. They don't want to be humiliated. They're above that. But Paul says, quoting the Stoic mentality... I've learned to be content. I've learned even how to be content being humiliated. I know how to be content being exalted. I know in every, in any circumstance, 
the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. This secret word here, mamuo, this is a word that was used for the mystery cults in Paul's day. In other words, these are the cults that aren't public, that are private. You can come join our little cult and we'll give you the secret handshake that nobody else knows. Do you know how many years I was married to my wife trying to convince her to teach me the Kappa Kappa Gamma handshake? They got these secrets and those. I was not in a fraternity. I just I didn't get any of that kind of stuff. So, and I, I, you know, I love Pastor Jarrett saying he's got four daughters and a wife. He says I'm president of my own sorority. I am too. I got four daughters and a wife, but I can't get them to teach me their secret handshakes. Those mystery cults in Paul's day had secret initiation rites, secret vocabulary. Secret cultic practices. And Paul says, I've learned that mystery cult secret of facing plenty and hunger. I've got a secret. But Paul's going to blab it to the world. Paul says, I've got that initiation into the mystery cult and I'll just tell everybody out there, here it is. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Doesn't matter what I'm going through. Doesn't matter if I've got a lot or a little. Doesn't matter if I'm hungry. Doesn't matter if I'm starving. Doesn't matter if I've got health. Doesn't matter if I've got disease. Doesn't matter if I can have a life expectancy of X number of years or if my life expectancy is X number of days. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and in that I am content. Look at it, though, in the Greek. It's fascinating the way it's written. Paul starts out with all, panta, all, all things. Um, Eskuo is, I am able. I can. I am able. I can do. I'm able to do all things I'm able to do in the one who is empowering me, who is strengthening me, who is putting within me the ability to do all things. You know, see this in context with Seneca. Seneca says the happy man is a content man with his present lot, no matter what it is, and he's reconciled to his circumstances. That's the happy man. That's the content man. Was Paul a Stoic? Absolutely not. He's a believer. He says, yeah, I know the secret to being content. It's not to shut yourself off from everything. It's to open yourself up to the living Christ. Because Christ is more than sufficient. And if it is Christ in you, the hope of glory, if it is Christ living in you, then you are able to do whatever it is you need to do for the cause of Christ. You can endure any circumstance, you can endure any situation because Christ is in you. And if anything, what we see here is Paul again walking the walk. This is the same Paul, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, who said in chapter 1, for me to live is Christ. Christ is living in me. 
Christ is the reason I can do these things. Christ is the power. And that's the secret to joyful living. You want to know why we can praise the Lord regardless of what's going on? You want to know why we don't have to live in the tunnel we live in? You want to know why we can be nice to people when it's not our inclination or certainly not how we're feeling at the moment? You know why we can show love to the unlovable? You know why we can have peace in the midst of stormy seas? Because Christ dwells in us. And that's real. That's not pretend. That's not make-believe. That's not fake it till you make it. That's a reality. If people don't have that reality, they need to get it. But that's the secret to joyful living. So here are your points for home. Number one, let's just decide we're going to make faith choices. We're going to walk by faith. We're going to let our deeds and works show our belief and our faith. We're going to not just tell people to rejoice in the Lord. We're going to rejoice in the Lord. Point number two. Let's work on relationships in the Lord. Let's really Really make an effort. When you're through here to this morning, make an effort to say hi to someone on the way out. Just make an effort. Let everybody know you are so welcome here. You are loved by God. You're loved by God even if you don't vote right. You're loved by God even if you don't look right. You're loved by God even if you don't smell right. You're loved by God. I don't care. Fill in the blank. You are loved by God and that means you're loved by me. And I want you to know that this morning. So, and if you say something stupid, don't hesitate to back it up and clear it up. And then find the secret of a contented life because it's there. So that's the key and the secret. Uh, we're going to try and wrap Philippians up. Uh, this coming week, I'm going to interview mom. I'm excited. Mom's the good storyteller. She's the, the mom of the world. And I'm interested for y'all to not only get to know her, but get to know how she has become the matriarch of, of, of our family and, and what it means. Uh, it is time for us to go to church, but let me bless you in the name of Jesus. And here are the points to ponder for you to look at on your way out. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that Jesus will empower all of us to transform our walk into one of faith and works that, that demonstrates the way you come to save the day. That we will show our love and compassion to those around us. That you will break that hard shell we may have of how we feel today or, or how we're thinking today. And put a smile in our heart that's based upon the empowering life and presence of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior through whom we pray. Amen.